0: service.
1: everybody, this is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody that's been listening to the show. If you like the show, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify or on Instagram. It's Kras plus One. That's K R A Z Plus One. You can also hit me up at krasplusone at gmail.com. Send me some questions about the show. I always love hearing from you guys, and I love seeing the suggestions for the guests. That's been really, really helpful. So we have an amazing guest on the show today, my good friend Jimmy Vivino. He's an incredible musician, a guitarist, a keyboard player, a music director, a member of the Tonight Show Band, the leader of the Basic Cable Band for Conan O'Brien. And uh, he's been a great mentor to me uh, as a music director and as a player. I also consider him a music historian. He knows about everything music-related, every album, every era of music. Uh, So we get into a lot of great discussions on this show today Uh, so i'm excited to get into that but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors all right he's known as an amazing guitarist but he's also a great keyboard player a singer producer and music director i'd like to welcome today's plus one mr jimmy vivino well, I appreciate you taking the time to join me on this. I've been talking to you a little while about getting you on the show, so I'm glad the, the stars
0: aligned. I was trying to remember when, you know, you're a guy like we played together, and I felt like I've known you forever, though yeah. we're pretty new friends, I think. Yeah, within, uh,
1: I think Greg Williamson is the catalyst of of how we met. I I knew of you and knew you are playing um, originally, you know, like a lot of people out there knew you from Conan, you know, from the sure, you know, basic sure. cable band, and then got to know the depth of your your playing and, and your musicality as I got to know you, but also through um, you know hearing you with Levon
0: yeah. and and finding
1: yeah. out so many things um, about uh, about you, you know, as a musical director um, as a player and, and uh, about your family, uh, which is really interesting to me. And I wanted to dive into that. Well, let's uh, go there because yeah. that's where it starts. Okay. Exactly,
0: yeah. Um, uh, my father came over here as an immigrant and they came over like in Titanic steerage. They were Italian immigrants. Uh, my grandfather came here first and worked in coal mines and sent money home, and worked carpentry gigs and sent money home and all the families would live you know 10 people to a house kind of immigrant kind of thing and uh-huh. and he brought the family over and my father uh was just a natural great trumpet player he could play you know like Louis armstrong and charlie shavers and roy eldridge and he cat. he would play me records by guys like wingy manone i never heard of and you know dixieland and and he wasn't allowed to do that because he was from a family of carpenters. When you're an immigrant and you come over and you're, and, and you're, you, you know, your father has two sons and your, your son-in-law, there's two more. There's like four or five carpenters in a business. You don't say at 16 or 15 years old, I want to be a trumpet player. They don't, <laughs> right. It's not, they just don't take it that seriously. Yeah. But what do yeah. you want to do? You know, yeah. you're going to play, you're going to work for the family. And my mother's father, had an Italian theater company in Patterson, New Jersey. They were immigrants, too. And it was kind of like in The Godfather, when they go to see this girl, when Abondanza, whatever his name is, the grocer, takes De Niro to see this girl, you know, in this play. So it was in the family, and when my parents saw that um, the kids had an interest in music and, and everything like that, they encouraged it. You know, and gave us lessons. My father taught me trumpet. That was my first instrument. And my brother Floyd took a, took a piano lessons from Mario Ianelli, another Italian guy. Yep. Would come over to the house and give him piano lessons. And then <laughs> we were encouraged, and to the point of what they would call passive aggressive now. But my father would say. Okay, play me your lesson because he could read, and he knew the music, and if you 're not ready i 'm not taking you, yeah, so you yeah. felt bad if you weren 't ready Wow, but, you know, but you wanted to your father was so supportive and your mother that you wanted to do good, so you studied your lesson, right. you did it you know and um, and then we got to the, the family the, the Vivino brothers um, I was at you know like when you're when you 're sitting at the at the uh, dinner table and you 're like a an uh, eight-year-old kid and your leg starts going and the whole table's shaking you know you got this energy and my father says there's a Jackie Gleason that's it you know (laughs) that's it I've had it you're going for tap dancing lessons yeah you know we're going to get some of that energy out I, I said okay well you know Gene Kelly's a tap dancer and Fred Astaire those guys seem okay and my father said well that's good because we know Fred Kelly you know Gene's Jane's brother knows yeah. my cousin, you know, John Bellow, who plays lead trumpet for Judy Garland. Right. You know, right. and I said, OK, well, then we'll go to, to him. And uh, and then my brothers were jealous. They're like, how come he gets to go? Right. So all of a sudden we got a tap dancing team. And, and by 1964, we're tap dancing at the World's Fair. Amazing. in uh, in Queens and at the same time I found out later from my pal Al Cooper him and Harvey Brooks and some other guys are playing at the Queens pavilion every day at noon wow. you know and they're like 11 they're like 20 they're 19 18 whatever this is right before rolling stone and and Al just had a band with Harvey and uh so it, it was like a, it was a hot bed for um you know nurturing uh musicians and stuff because we had bands in the basement. We didn't, they were like gangs, you know, we would get together. I don't know if kids still do this Do you. I mean, you know, I threw through, through the internet, you know, as
1: much as we can, there's a lot of things about it we can hate on. I think there's the the key to it uh, or the silver lining in it is that, that these younger kids have an opportunity. Uh, yeah. It's a little bit the, even the playing field in terms of like, Access to to recording, access to getting your stuff seen. You know whether it's YouTube yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um. So I think it still exists, but in a very in a different way.
0: Well, you, know? you and I uh, run across uh, guys like Taz Niederauer. Right. You know? Right. He's who, guys, one of the guys yeah, I was thinking about. Yeah. yeah, guys like Tyler Morris up in Boston. You know that are that are kids that just have this facility. Yeah. And feel and you know they will come out yeah um they're just i think that we'll just have a better class of musicians right we won't you know (laughs) because of all this having to stay home and practice and also you know like when we're kids we can learn anything it's like a a child can learn more languages than just one right better than an adult can right uh when the brain is is kind of ripe for all this stuff so so we you know as kids we've went in way over our head i was you know nine years old and i think by the time i was 12 i made my first two dollars playing a live gig you know and we were playing we were trying to tackle stuff by the doors and and i was playing organ a bit by then too yeah because we had a piano in the house so i gravitated to it there was a guitar in the basement an old stella my uncle left and i used to figure out bass lines on it yeah and still a trumpet player right through right through high school and uh and we had a very by the way our school systems had music programs and i don't know if they exist right. now because right. of budgets budgets for football kind of you know yeah. overrule budgets for instruments and music and uh but i did an independent study at 17 where i wrote a piece for orchestra and and uh did uh pieces for big band right. as part of my study uh you know and they and they said okay you don't need to take this or that you don't need Homac. You know yeah. they would find stuff. They would sit down and say, "You don't need this." If you wanted to do an independent study thing, you go in. we give you a, a room with a piano and a piece of paper, and you write write your piece. You know, right. so right. so everything seemed possible because school nurtured it. Um, everything it was that we never felt like this is hard or impossible. Uh, we were channeled in a way in my school. I was in Glen Rock, New Jersey to 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 pursue what we were into. And we weren't pushed towards just get a liberal arts, just do just get your degree. It right. doesn't matter what it's in. You see, because uh that's what happened later. Right. I think people started right. saying, I'm just gonna go to school and but when I went, I one semester of college, I quit because I had already done all this. I had these tomes, these books right. about arranging and all this stuff. All these stuff from Berkeley and and from uh, you know, you could buy the books from Manhattan School of Music, semi-nestico arranging, uh, all that stuff, the Russell methods, all all of that stuff, and and. Um, Scoring for the band, the Walter Pistone book, I read these things, you know like novels man right, and and right. you know practical ranges of instruments, and then went in like Frank Zappa did to records, yeah, and just transcribed right you know which is which is a healthy thing, and then you learn you know, listen to Hank Crawford. You learn here's how four horns sound like a big band. Yeah, here's how you yeah, voice them. Yeah. You know, and a lot of those things ended up to be a lot of the guitar voicings we were playing later. Right, right. Because you know, four chords in the middle. That race. That seven sharp nine. Yeah, yeah. You know that that what it it has the root, the third, the seven, and the sharp nine. That yeah. that famous you know the Hendrix yeah, chord. The
2: Hendrix, yeah.
0: That stuff. Moves within a little parallel place on horn sections, yeah. where where you know you're not all over the place. It's not like going all the way up the neck to play a chord. Yeah. Everything's contained within a couple of frets there or right, a couple right. of places. So so it is. I sucked in math, but it's just math, isn't right,
1: it? Right, right.
0: But I couldn't grasp. You know Johnny went to the store with five apples, but I could listen to Edgar Verisi and figure out some sort of a voicing he was doing you know so right. um it, it's funny because if you if musicians are very childlike in that we just do what we want to do yeah, we don't we yeah. don't what we don't what we're not interested in we don't care we don't want to know about it right. so uh recognizing that in kids and trying to get the schools to encourage. You know, creativity yeah. is yeah. is something that I hope is happening, and I try to to do, talk to kids, give them the time of day. You know, and
1: uh. no, I mean that that's huge, and I think about that a lot. Having a a, a young child now, you know, because he's gravitating to music already. He's one years old, one year old. So I saw
0: him dance. Yeah, he's dancing. <laughs> he, he
1: loves. You know, he, he listens to BB King, and that's like his favorite right now. But uh, I mean, he gets to the piano and he's jamming on it all the time. He's always playing on bongos and. Of course, he's going to be nurtured by us, but like his where where he's educated and his his school environment, you know, I I want to make sure he's in a place where that is, um, you know, important to to the to him and to them, but because uh, I think that is something that is is has been suffering, you know, and even since 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 I grew up, since you grew up, you know, it was around me everywhere when I was a kid yeah, too, and yeah. I was lucky for that.
0: You know what? Looking at your son, I saw him dancing to BB King. It was yeah. one of the coolest yeah, things. That that, that 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 you didn't make that happen. That's no, in there. No, you're you know? right. And to nurture it, like my parents did with me, is the key, and not to push it. Right. And if a kid is sitting there with BB King's playing, and doing nothing, yeah, you're probably gonna say, you're probably gonna say, "Oh, I'm gonna make my kid a musician." No, you're not either. Yeah. He is or he isn't, or she, either right. they are or aren't, uh, you know, a musician. But in their heart, it's the, the most amazing thing to me about people is that they get up and dance. Because being a, a player all the time, being on the bandstand, I never, you know, I danced tap dancing, jazz, ballroom, and ballet when I was a little kid. But that was sort of a exercise, you know, you learned how to do it, but it wasn't the natural thing for me. Right. I, I forced myself into it. Uh, but when people like kids, like infants, and start dancing to music, yeah. it's it's the joy. And that means there's something in there, you know, yeah. That, yeah. that they want to get out, man. And drumming, yeah. Let them do it all, yeah. man. You got yeah. the toys, right? Oh, we got you the got toys all the everywhere. Toys. <laughs> I just put them out and
1: he he jumps all over it, man. He's all over it. So, so when you're in high school and you're playing in bands, playing with your brothers, do you did what what records were you listening to? I, I consider you a rock and roll and, and blues historian. You know, if yeah. I if I have questions about the history of <laughs> a particular thing, I know who to call. You know what I mean? Well,
0: you know, here's here's how it went. Yeah, here, here's how. I, and I always try to try to, to hone this. You know, my discovery of yeah. music. There was in every house uh, at that time a pile of records. My, my father was there. They were out. They weren't put away. It wasn't something I couldn't get to. Right. There was a pile of records. It, of course, had Sinatra and Dean yeah. Martin. Yeah. You know, but it also had Louis Armstrong and and uh, you know and uh, uh, Count Basie, Jonah Jones. You know, and and. Judy Garland, and Ella yeah. Fitzgerald. It had everything. Uh, I, I went through those. I listened to those records, the Broadway shows, My Fair Lady, oh, King yeah, and I. Yeah. All, I. I went through all of them. I, I memorized all of Robert Preston's stuff in The Music Man. You know, to me, it was it was amazing the way that's early rap. You got yeah. trouble right here in River City. got trouble. You know, that, right, that right. was kind of rap, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, boy, that's the coolest thing, man. And then it turns into rap music eventually. But that Noel Coward way of just talking over the music, you know, intrigued me in a cool way. Uh, So I had that, but then at the same time, my brother Floyd, who was uh, four years older than me, you know, we had to say, we had to save money to buy a color TV. Everybody had to go out and work, you know, otherwise me and my brothers were peeking into people's houses to watch Bonanza on color TV from their, through their windows, you know, like this. So, (laughs) so my brother Floyd had had a wagon and he would walk around to all these old houses in the neighborhood and ask ladies. And, and you know, mostly there were spinsters sort of living in these old Victorian mansions saying, do you want your attic clean out? So he would go. And on this wagon cart thing he had, he would load it up with Victroles, with horns, wow. 78s, all that stuff he was intrigued with. And in the basement of our house, he had acquired 3,078 RPM records wow. catalogued. Everything from everything. I mean, it was a history of American music, and that was recorded. So I caught those trumpet recordings by Sonny Boy and the Bluebird recordings by Sonny Boy One and the Vocalion records he had, and and all the old blues. And that hit me like as the coolest thing. I yeah. thought when I heard when I heard that. Now because I was used to hearing big bands and Count Basie. But then when I heard these smaller bands or just a guy with a good, a lightning Hopkins 78, you know, I was like, boy, that's so cool. And at the same time, the Beatles happened in 64. Okay. So that bug pun intended got into everybody's head. Yeah. Everyone, even people that were already in bands and older that were doing stuff were like taken back on, wow, this is something new because all the bands were like ventures around me, guitar yeah. bands. Nobody was singing. There were yeah. no, you know, we weren't in Texas. We weren't in Buddy Holly territory. We weren't down south. We were in New York. You know, if you didn't sing doo-wop and you didn't sing that stuff and rhythm and blues, you know, you, you were, had a guitar band. You didn't think about singing. The Beatles right. made the possibility of, wow, the band plays and sings. So we started forming bands right away, you yeah. know, uh, as kids. And uh, so... The record, the old records I had, yeah, when I started buying records, the first record I bought was uh, Where Did Our Love Go by The Supremes. I heard it walking through the Models, yeah. which used to have a record department. David, you better know, you know, and oh, that's yeah. going, I'm going, what is that sound? That The sound of a Motown record hits you and you go, wow, oh,
1: yeah. you know, nothing like that.
0: Uh, so then it was uh, with me, and my brother, Floyd and Jerry, we were all about Junior Walker, uh, you know, uh, the, the Marvelettes, Temptations, Supremes. We were all about Motown Records. And then uh, in in uh, there was a phenomenon of Italian blue eyed soul singers and bands. They And so there were local bands playing. And then we discovered the Young Rascals. I said, wow, here's like a bunch of Italian guys that are you know doing Ray Charles and doing like Wilson Pickett that's how we learned who Wilson Pickett was right
1: right you
0: know what Midnight Hour the Rascals and then oh you know and then you I started to to find out when a song was a cover even then I would say who wrote the song I look on I would read the whole album you know like like just it was just like something you could spend hours with a record and I would say who wrote it who who arranged it you know I wonder what it was like. I wonder who, oh, Arif Martin did the horns. Yeah. So these guys started to become my heroes more than the artists. Yeah. Oh, who did that? Oh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's his yeah. name? Peyton up in, well, he did those th- those uh, impressions records. Who did those great horn parts and string parts on that Curtis Mayfield stuff, you know? Right, right. And so I started to find that going into as an arranger because I was a trumpet player and, you know, big band head, so, uh, So the record started to become more about what's got horns on it, (laughs) you know, when I was a kid. Oh, this electric flag record. I got to get that. There's a horn section. Yeah. You know, so we started. And then in 68, when I'm 13, in a band with a bunch of guys, one of the guy's older brothers uh, would take us in the car to the Fillmore at 13. Yeah. So then I started seeing it. Um, Wow. When you, there is nothing to a kid, the first time a live show comes off a stage and goes, and the music goes through you, and so I would just start going to Fillmore with with Brian and his brother Ralph and the other guys in the band, and every time we saw a band, we would buy their record. Right. So you know that was also part of it. What was the what was Bill Graham's you know roster? Yeah. you'd look at the Fillmore. Well, whoever's there, whether you're going or not, I'm going to buy that record. You know, it's a beautiful day. I better buy that. I see. You know that. White Bird or whatever their song was, they go. I gotta have that. That's cool, and and uh, so live shows were a big part of it. So following Johnny Winter around, following uh, Leslie West around as a kid, because you could go to Howard Stein's Capitol Theater in Port Chester, which is now yep. our friend is running that, of and. Yeah, and you could go to um, uh, my father's place out in Long Island. You can go to the Fox Theater in Hackensack. Howard Stein had another Capitol Theater in Passaic. You could go to the Fillmore, right? So six or seven places and no radius issues, okay? We know about radius issues from our own bands now. (laughs) Of course. But if Johnny Winter was in one place, he was in six places that month, you know, or seven, a couple of nights a week in some of them. So you just you know, nothing is better than watching these guys play, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and, uh, and I got to see so much music uh, and it just kept feeding my, being the kid looking over the fence, you know? Uh, you mentioned
1: Johnny Winter. What are some other, other highlight shows that you saw during that, that era?
0: The mothers at the, at the, <laughs> the mothers in 71. Yeah. that they recorded that live album, oh, yeah. you know?
1: I just watched the, uh, the documentary about that,
0: that whole time period uh seeing chicago because terry kath uh was is the un- unsung hero of guitar right. uh, in my mind and yeah. chicago by the way folks was the hippest band when they came out in 1968 with that first album oh you know yeah. they floored everybody and yeah. the first two albums at least yeah uh, are are classics you know songwriting singing playing yeah. self contained arranging guitar playing yeah. Like Terry Crazy. Katz, twenty five yeah. or sixty four, you can go online uh, to to YouTube and just get the isolated guitar solo. And listen to it, really? And yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Just just that. go check it out. Yeah. He, they have both, He has two guitar tracks: one rhythm and then the lead. So they're on one track uh, to listen to, and his playing is phenomenal. And it sounds like a take. I can't even hear any it. he punches. It's like unbelievable. Seeing uh, 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 Jethro Tull then in In like 70 with with you know mick abrams on guitar or maybe it was 69 and then mixed band bloodwood pig uh savoy brown these guitar players were starting to get under my skin because i was an organ player right but you know traffic always my favorite bands were were were, uh you know i I would go to see al cooper if he was playing with whatever whatever al was doing mike bloomfield you know, at the time, B.B. Uh, King gave us an education. There was one show I recall that's probably the most amazing is a, a little band from Boston, a little bar band, Jay Giles' band, opening oh, yeah. up. And they were a blues band, basically. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: And then Albert King comes on. Wow. Okay? And then the Allman Brothers. And yeah. that's and this is when Idlewild South had just come out, okay? Yeah. And And they had apparently cut the fillmore album their last trip but it wasn't out yet right so they were playing a lot of that stuff at that time along with what was on Idlewall south and it was still the band in its original form yeah, yeah. at that point um yeah. uh, mountain loved him loved yeah. leslie uh, the yeah. band the band and the dead at roosevelt stadium like yeah. together and, wow. and 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 the band and dylan i think we took a ride i was in new Orleans. I was living at the Della Post Hotel down there on Charter Street, which I don't know what it is now. It's a, a W or something.
1: And that was the later tour I like, kind of won when it was when it was a little not not yeah. the one where they were where they were booing. <laughs>
0: it's, no, this is like 74. Yeah, 74. So we drove from New Orleans to Dallas. Crazy. You know yeah, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. see to see Dylan and the band. Oh, wow. And it's funny how I did get to know a lot of the people that I went. You know, as you know, there's nothing better than people stepping out of your record collection into your life. Oh, it's, it's the most There's nothing better. Thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, and it still happens. And it's still yeah. happening, uh, you know, with young people, too. You yeah. know, when I met Tash Neal, I was gaga about the London Souls, and I didn't yeah. know that you had such a history with them, that you right. actually played
1: bass with them, maybe? or Yeah, well, I produced that that album, Here Come the Girls, and their bass player had left... Right before we made that record, so I played bass on a lot of that record, uh, yeah. along with the other guys. Which a lot of people don't realize is that Tash is a great bass player, but also Chris Saint Hilaire, the drummer, yes. is a great bass player. I and heard a that. great and a great keyboard player. So we would switch off on bass throughout those those
0: sessions, which was which was fun. You know, uh, Al Cooper turned me onto that record. He said, "Really? Wow! Now you got to hear these guys." Wow, cool. You know it was about the jam too you know yeah, it wasn't yeah. just about you see that when we go back to going to the Fillmore and and bands in those days you'd be sorely bummed out if a band played just what was on the record exactly right okay right. oh there's the guitar no the idea was that cream had had given you us this idea it's a it's a bebop idea yeah. the head happens yeah. Then all this filling in the middle, and then the head happens again in the end. Right. It's a jazz concept, right? Yep. You play the song, but what happened, we, we were waiting for with Hendrix and Cream and Zeppelin and everybody we saw back then was what's going to happen in the middle of this song. Right, right. You know, and that was, is kind of, pop music kind of killed that in a way later on. Right. You know, if you went to see bands and they've all of a sudden they're playing the tracks they're limited to oh yeah it sounds just like the record but it, are they a band or just a big karaoke machine you know when, yep. when when and i understand the use of tracks but there should be a time when you can shut it off and the band just plays i wonder if it would be frightening or it would be great you know i don't know yeah <laughs> i'm always slightly hurt when i show
1: up to a show and the tracks are playing i also get it cuz you know yeah. you want to represent the
0: record and a lot of people are there well an mtv mtv generation all right three generations back or whatever made it made it important to not only sound exactly like the record but to look like it and have dancers on stage right instead of mu- more musicians right so then it was like can't have more musicians let's just put tracks up because the dancing is more important to the audience than the music right. so you know, we get into that place where we don't want to sound like old guys that are complaining, but there's plenty for us in jam bands. Right. You know, that's why it's a, sort of a knee jerk reaction to that. The way right. punk was to Prague. Right. When Prague started happening, we were all into Prague and our chops and blah, blah. blah. All of a sudden, punk springs up, you yep. know.
1: Yep. And yep. it's like,
0: screw that. Listen to this. Two chords. One chord. Three yeah. chords, whatever. You know, so kids could get guitars again and start playing because uh the punk thing. But I think in I think in in defiance of this MTV sort of put your, your video on stage live, you know, fish pops up and jam bands are just like, we're yeah. just gonna play.
1: Yeah.
0: And if something starts happening, it'll get even longer, you,
1: you know? know? <laughs> what I love about you know, the whole jam band scene is that now it's not even a genre, it's just like this counterculture. You yeah, know, it's accepted like as
0: that that's, that's music, right?
1: And when Soul Live started, it was right when the jam band term was kind of getting like kind of getting big or even starting, I guess. And we got thrown into that. And at first, I mean, I kind I was more coming from the place like I listened to the Dead and and a little bit of Fish, more like the Dead. And I was coming from rock and roll. The other guys in Soul Live were kind of like. They didn't want to be called a jam band. You know what I mean? They were like, because we didn't sound like that. You know, we were an we were an organ trio. And but as time went on, we realized, you know, that this this um fan base wants us to experiment. They want to be in the moment with us. Yeah. They don't want us to play the record exactly. They want to and then the other thing is like the Grateful Dead. Part of how they built this crowd that follows them everywhere was that they change their set every night. Yeah, and every stretch. night, and
0: covers, and yeah. yeah. And Jerry said, Jerry even said, hey, listen, man, we're in defense, right? Yeah. <laughs> because people did attack them. Yeah, of course. You guys are up there. Well, you're not doing shit up there. And he said, look, in, in in our defense, we're trying to get something going while we're up there. It's right. not like it's rehearsed. You know, yeah. It either happens or it doesn't happen. You're part of seeing into the way a band works you know things out and and i always appreciated that about them
1: we'll be right back after this short break When did that switch happen from keys to guitar
0: well you know i played up and down i, I went to one semester of college and I, I found a drummer uh you know and and, and a guitar player and I got my brother who had just finished at manhattan school of music it's two-year program there they had it wasn't yeah. four years and we just had a an or you know a quartet where i played b3 and we had a guitar player p and jerry and a drummer and we just started playing seven nights a week,
1: man. Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, up and down, uh, it, all through New Jersey, up and down. And then different bands started popping out of that. So uh, I did that uh, probably till I was uh, 23 when I, uh, so for six years. And then I, I decided to take guitar lessons. I said, well, I play enough. I can go see a teacher. and, and So I guitar got- wasn't your main thing till your 20s. yeah. My father went to school with Bucky Pizzarelli and, in uh, uh, you know, John's father, Bucky, yeah, who was course, playing yeah. in the Tonight Show band back yeah, then, and yeah. uh, and we called John. My father got me on the phone. Well, you're going to talk to him, son. You know, I'm I'm like 19 or I'm 22 yeah, yeah. now, about yeah. 22, and I'm still like, Dad, give him a call, ask him for me. No, you ask him, or it doesn't happen. So I call him. I talked to Bucky. He says, you know, I'm man, I'm glad you're going to take up the guitar, but I. You know I'm doing so many sessions, but there's another guy, of course, another Italian guy, Joe Cinderella, another studio musician. He's yeah. far from you up in Saddle River, so I go to Joe and I take lessons from him, and and it's great, man. Uh, and uh, you know I learned the, the where the notes were on the guitar, yeah. Yeah. you know, because I could read already. Yeah. So and I learned all these chords and scales and arpeggios, basically. Yeah. We didn't even play tunes. He's just getting me, getting me, he's getting my chops up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then he says, well, you know, you got to move on now. You got to go to Harry Leahy. You got to go see Harry Leahy. Uh, so Harry was great, man. He had a big, giant house, and 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 they couldn't afford to eat it. He was a jazz cat. Right, right. So he always had, like, three sweaters on, Harry. You know? and I go to <laughs> Harry's. I'm going to Harry's. I got to wear a coat while I'm playing, you know. Yeah. It was too huge, the house. It was giant, but he was so great. And then he started showing me other uh, voicings and things, you know, three on it, just three notes that you would play or two notes. You know, if you're playing with a bass player or piano player, you don't always have to play those six notes. They're going to get in the way, you know? Yeah. Uh, So, uh, and then after him, I went one night to Buddy's place. Buddy Rich had a joint where his his small band would play right right and in that band was him jimmy malin on conga let me see sal nestico and sunny fortune with saxophones kenny Barron was a piano player oh wow yeah anthony jackson was a kid sitting on his amp playing his his jazz bass and a cat named jack wilkins was the guitar player i went up to him after the after the gig and i said mr wilkins do you teach and he said yeah you know come over Bring a bottle of wine,, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then he taught me stuff. He had this other method of three notes on a string scales, yeah, where you keep shifting, so it gets you playing like Schofield does you yeah, know yeah, this, yeah. instead of across you know it gets this point where you have no gray areas John schofield there yeah. isn't a, a note. A gray area in yeah, his play yeah, yeah he can start anywhere on the neck and play anything yeah you absolutely. know uh, he's probably the most complete guitar player i know yeah yeah you know absolutely uh, i agree so then I, I i just started playing guitar and i'm like okay I'm, I'm gonna play guitar but then the blues was always tugging because i would go and i had my friend brian who we went to the Fillmore together ended up being muddy waters sort of you know, road manager and, yeah. and and spare tire guitar player because yeah. <laughs> you always need a guy that's going to be there no matter what, if someone doesn't show or misses their flight or yeah, whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: O'Brien would let would, would tell me when they were around with Muddy and I would hang out with him and Muddy. I even had Muddy's guitar at my house that wow. read telly because I had to take it for frets uh, out to of Tom Doyle's and he wanted big bass frets put in it. And um, in those days, if somebody gave you, you know, Al had, Cooper had done the same thing, giving me the Jimi Hendrix strat that he had. Wow. Said, I need some frets, take it to your friend. You know, I was like the guy. And I said, it's funny in those days. Today I'd be all over that shit with an Instagram picture. Yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. take it. But we had this sort of fear of, you don't let anyone know it's at your house or it'll right. be stolen. And yeah. also it's disrespectful Yeah, to hold your friend's, guitar hostage you know yeah. take pictures of it so uh i have the memories of those playing those guitars That's and uh, and muddy uh was such such a gentleman he would let he would let me up to play with pine top we'd wow. share the piano either i'd play the bottom or the top and uh and then i got in the middle of that band i i said this is the best feeling you know, regardless of all the other prog stuff I had going on, although I'd learned like Tarkus and all this, ELP shit, and 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 uh, and and, uh, and me being into Herbie Hancock so much, and and into Stevie Wonder, and all that stuff, and I was like playing those songs and doing that, and and it never hit me the way sitting in that band uh, did. Oh. And I said, well, that's, I have to start doing this. (laughs) So, uh, you know, between, and I've always said, I'm just the blues man with a job, you know, that's really all I am. (laughs) I'm lucky that I learned to do all these other things that could keep me working, but there's always this, that, yeah, okay. So I, uh, paying dues became a thing where, you know, uh, when I finally got to New York full time, uh, after playing with Phoebe Snow and Felix Cavalieri and Laura Nero and, you know, and, and all these other people, I started playing with Johnny Johnson. Right, right. And discovered Mike Merritt and I became friends and James Warmworth. So we started playing with Johnny, Sun Seals. We started backing up everybody at Chicago Blues that came in, yep. Otis Rush, whoever came in, we were the backup band. Right. Uh, they would call us and say, so and so's coming, the Sugar Blues coming, he has no band. You guys wanna do it? Yeah, I wanna do it. What it's I don't care what it pays. I want to do it. Yeah. I I like to, I'm forcibly paying my dues, the blues dues, you know. Right, right. And the best way I can and learning from every one of these cats, so many things and so many stories and and getting to meet so many people by playing with them. You know, I mean the 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 rock and soul review with Fagan was an amazing thing, and Donald taught me a lot about right, what right. not to play too because we i went to his he said yeah come over we're, you know I, I was slowly talking to him i had this way of when i would get in a situation of saying to a lot of the people i love didn't want to play the music that made them famous right, or that right. people wanted to hear yeah. they were like sort of phoebe was like i don't want to play poetry man i was like phoebe that's all they want you to play, yeah. so at least play that and then play Whatever 10 other want. songs yeah. that they never heard. Right. You know? and, and with Fagan, I would say, why aren't we playing Reel in the New Years? He goes, well, why aren't we wearing bell-bottoms and platform shoes? Right. <laughs> and I would say, right. maybe we sh-. I said, maybe we should, Donald. <laughs> <laughs> but, but slowly, he came around to it. You know, We had that rock and soul review. Jeff Young turned me on to that whole situation. So we yeah, were doing that, how, that. Is that
1: how you connected
0: with, with Donald? yeah yeah and and uh and then donald would say like i'll oh, come over uh, we're gonna do we'll do deacon blues okay he would hand me you know a sketch chart of it it was amazing and i would look at the voicings so i said wow three notes and a bass note yeah didn't want to hear you know that moo thing right yeah he didn't want to hear some notes so if you see you know a certain chord and you play the full six-note version, you don't want to hear that. right? You know, there's two notes. You know, a seven chord is the seven and the third. That's it. Yeah. You know, and the 13, you can add that six above it, those three notes like that. Yeah. That's it. I don't want to hear any of the nine. I don't want to hear any of the other numbers, you know, in the <laughs> middle. And uh, and would show me. On, now he had a. You uh, go up to his apartment, and he had a. I said, "Where's the piano?" So he opens a closet door, and there's a suitcase, Rhodes, yeah. pushed against the back of this closet with right. no clothes yep. in it. Right. No clothes, but the, ho- the, the 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 coat hanger is still hanging there, right. Right? right. So we squeeze in, and he says, "Close the door, <laughs> close the door," and he's showing me this stuff. And I would say, well, what do you call that? He goes, I don't know. Just, it's a C over a B flat. Yeah, yeah. You know, nothing. It, it, it was a, such a beautiful way of playing. Yeah. Um, and the way voices led to other voices that way, all contained. Yeah. You know, not all over the place. And uh. And and forget it. He was an, a natural arranger and writer and, and witty guy. And, uh. you know, just ha- knowing cats like that is enough. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, working with them once in a while is always fun. And um, you 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 find out that still he's what he he thinks he's playing the blues is all well. right, <laughs> you know, right, right. <laughs> and to right. him he is you know it is actually and I found that out. Ornette Coleman is just a blues guy from you know Fort Worth. Right. He's a blues saxophone player. Right. Um, so the blues became the the pursuit um, uh, mostly, and then there was always work. There was Broadway shows. There was scoring for movies. Uh, You know, all that work stuff that's always fun, you know, Um, uh, but not the blues.
1: And when an artist would come into town and you were in the band... Walk me through a little bit of what that was like. Would you be learning songs off the record? Would they just... We would there was there community because nowadays we got MP3s. We got what would happen in that situation.
0: I, I learned this from Paul Schaefer, who, when I came into town, you know, Paul and Will were around doing a lot of stuff yeah. pre Letterman. Yeah, they were everywhere. Those guys: Hiram, Paul, Will, Jordan. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, and, right. and Clifford, Clifford Carter, yep. you know, cats, the the cats were mirroring off. These guys were everywhere, all over New York. Uh, and I would go see them play. And uh and and I worked with Paul on a show called Leader of the Pack downtown we started. Yep. And you know, Paul had to approve me as music director because he had just started Letterman.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh and and he didn't have time. So I passed the audition and we became close friends. And he told me at the first band rehearsal, when I brought the charts in. He goes, man, you got this the, the string parts and the horn parts and the vocals, everything happening, but you didn't do the most important thing. You didn't write out the bass line and make sure the drummer played exactly what was on the record. And he goes, right. it starts from the bottom. Right. The bass and drums are right. Everything will fall in place. Right. And I, he says, you're an arranger listening to music from the top down. So I learned to start listening from the bottom up. And he also gave me the advice that it's the building and they will come uh, advice of, of making of making the records yes. a sacred thing yeah and if you re- if you reconstruct that temple the singer will come and they will deliver the, be- the Benny king for instance yeah. these guys were so jaded by pickup bands reading the chart and not knowing the record i would say to the guys there'll be a chart there
2: yeah
0: but learn the record or learn the you record know,
2: yeah learn
0: the record sure. and so we i was doing a thing where i was md for the songwriters hall of fame this was the night that's like uh, a, a rock and roll dream it couldn't have happened you can't believe it but it's absolutely true i'm called to do um put a band together for the rock and roll you know so just to say the songwriters hall of fame yeah and being honored that night was benny king right so also womack was there okay yeah james brown was there james wow. taylor was there paul simon was there Brian Wilson was there. Paul McCartney was there. Everybody for for Benny, right? Everybody. Well, I'm like, we got to put a finale together, you know? And I said to Paul, I took Paul. Paul was there as a guest. He wasn't even in my band. Right. I said, what should I do, man? He says, listen, he said, when James Brown comes up to give his speech... Just play the first chord. To Papa was a brand new bag, but get it exactly right. Boom! Yeah, and he will sing from that podium. (laughs) He will, and he did. He did, and he started dancing and singing it. I'm saying this is like what? And then. I go to him and Billy Joel because we got to do the finale. Okay. You know, I said, can you guys come or you guys want to play keyboards and sing? You know, Billy, you want to sing? Or he said, well, I'll just, he goes, there's too many great singers here. I'll just play. I had two keyboard setups, you know? Paul played the organ and Billy was playing the piano. And, and up there, and they had these guys paired off, like James Taylor, Paul McCartney, and Brian Wilson on one mic. Oh, my god. <laughs> You know, uh, and you got Womack and Benny King, and I can't remember who else. Uh, James Brown on another mic, yeah. and then there's another another trio of singers. Uh, I think I, I'm thinking maybe Carol King. You know, a couple of ladies were up there, uh, songwriters, heavy songwriter Ellie Greenwich, so heavy songwriters. Everybody's going to do "Stand By Me." <laughs> Everyone's going to take. They're just going to throw the verses around. "Stand By Me." Okay, that's the final finale of the night, and it comes time for mccartney to sing right and uh, he turns around to me and says john never let me sing this one and i said <laughs> here's paul mccartney and he's telling me that he's getting away with something right year right. years after john was already gone yeah his love for him uh was so apparent in that moment and respect oh high above anything else he could ever say to, to feel like a little kid getting away with singing John's song. Right. Stand by me. Belong to John. John right. wouldn't let anybody else sing it in the band. But that those kind of nights, you learned, A, and you know about thinking on your feet. Yeah. We do it when you're an MD and I'm working with you or an yeah. I'm MD and you're working with me and we're yeah. lucky we have each other at least to bounce. That's like Paul being there for me, right, you know, right. and teaching me. And you know, we do the same thing now. Yeah, we'll yeah. pass out, we'll t- tell the guys in the band, yeah, there'll be a chart, but learn the record, right? you know? And then when you get, like, the thing we do every year, uh, yeah. we're so fortunate down at, at that uh, yeah, tipping, tipping Point, point yeah. Tipping Point down in New Orleans is that band, we get to you. You get to cherry pick these New Orleans cats, oh, and amazing. I gotta say, um, I've played with rhythm sections in every city in the world, and there is nothing like those guys. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know if how you feel about it. Oh but- no,
1: it's the best it could possibly be. It's such such an honor to to play with those guys and to do that event every year, and you know, and one of the one of the things that I've learned from you and from Will um, is the. That combination of, you know, being absolutely as prepared as you can, but also being able to keep it loose enough to follow the artist and and to make sure that the vibe is right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and be able, you know, because to put on the best show. Of course, everyone has to be prepared. And that's and that's the best the best guys to work with. I mean, like a Steve Gad. Yeah. Um, you know, these guys know the records inside and out. You know, they they know how to read, but but they also understand that those mo- the best moments of the show a lot of times
0: are off the cuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, playing with Tash, I learned that. You never know what's gonna happen. You can't rehearse <laughs> that shit. <laughs> you know, but also their heads up. And yeah, you know what yeah. I always say too, it's like you know, we're We're akin to two things. We're a traffic cop up there, you know, making sure there's no collisions. And also, you know, a a general's job is to have the best people in the field, you know. And the general doesn't do the, you know, do the actual physical part of the fighting himself. He trusts his, you know, his troops, you know, yeah. and you have to try, you have to, you know, you really have to gather the right players. Um, yeah. I've done it too before where, you know, like all-star teams don't always work.
2: Right, right. It
0: doesn't always work. It's even on record sometimes. But now we've got these, uh, almost in every town, go-to guys, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah. so we just lost one in, in Mike Finnegan. That was yeah. a huge, huge hit. Yeah. Um, but there's, and, and I'm meeting a lot of young guys. I You know, Carrie Frank, you know him at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. Organ Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, you know, and this is the advantage today of YouTube and Instagram. Yeah. You can see things and you're going Dolly Latchy, who's this guy? You know, yeah. where's he from? You know, <laughs> amazing uh, organ players and, 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 and piano players. And, you know, and you find out we're guitar players, so we don't always get to work together. But when we right. do, yeah. you and I never had to decide... It just naturally happens.
1: Yeah, if we fall in where where we want, and that's and it's the cool thing also, you know, about the current age is it's easy to like contact. So you know, I can be like, oh, I'm a big fan of that guy. Let me just reach out. Hey, Kras, what you know? And it's like, yeah, it's a beautiful thing um, to get to work with so many great people and have this community um, that we've kind of you know built. Over these past few years, and, and getting to do Love Rocks every year with you, and doing Tipping Point, and you know, I've just gotten to meet and work with so many yeah. of my heroes. Well,
0: look to have a guy like Greg Williamson, who we need to talk about for a second, yeah, for sure. That loves the music as much as us, yeah, and doesn't know a thing about playing music or singing or anything. He just knows about music, though. Right. He knows what's good, and he knows music. Yet, without guys like him that can put this stuff together, yeah no but 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 always with the music in mind not with you know a lot of a lot of promoters put it together with the what's the ticket price what's my back end i don't care about the music just get the people there you know uh, but this is a guy who is like one of us he's yeah. like a musician that Absolutely. does that that has that brain that we don't have yeah. we don't yeah. have that brain so the yeah. respect is equal i think uh you know to people that do that for us and are with us i still Learned from Mike Bloomfield about this backward trek through the blues. Yeah. And for all the kids out there that picked it up with Stevie Ray and God bless you, because that's a great place to pick it up. Yeah. I picked it up with B.B. King and Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf, you know, and then got I found out where Mike Bloomfield would started pointing the way backwards, where the rest of it was, you know, where it came from. So if you... You know, learn to play some Mance Lipscomb or Lightning Hopkins or Blind Blake or some Rags and some stuff. You're going to find your playing improves all around. Even if you can burn and shred, you know, you got to get that right hand going, too, you know, a little more. You know, I mean, there's a lot of this. But there's so much in this right hand oh, yeah. uh, that makes you a percussion instrument and a piano, and you know you listen to guys watch their hands on you know watch Sunhouse's right hand come around. It's like it's like poetry, man. So I, I found out that um, going backwards is always is good too, and adapting, you know, having a knowledge of the keyboard, I I, I tend to adapt piano style to the guitar as much as I can, you know, absolutely. Uh, and horn section stuff. So I know if, really, if a guitar player is playing something, I can always play what, my, what in my mind are some horn stabs and horn parts uh, with them. And, and we get a in, more interesting thing going because it's, uh, I, I like it, I like it to, wa- to watch the other guitar player, see where he is, and then find something else to do.
2: Right. You know? right, and, that's, right.
0: And, that's, and then when you solo, I'll probably go to what you were doing. Right. Right. You know, to keep it to keep it together, you know, and and uh, and and that's a that's something that I think it just happens naturally now uh, with players. Um, And when somebody doesn't do that, you can just, you know, get out of the way. You know, Jimmy Vaughn told me the best thing. He said, "Okay, imagine that you're up there. Okay, on stage. And you're with B.B. King, Freddie King, Albert King, Albert Collins, okay? Yeah. And your turn comes up. What are you going to play? <laughs> <laughs> okay? yeah. These are all the guys that you learned, that you took their stuff, all right? Yeah. Yeah. What are you, what, have you found yourself yet, you know? Yeah. And that's why he, I love his playing because it's conversational and it's almost like he'll play what would be the lead vocal and then he'll play some backup rhythm, yeah, so it's almost like a vocal thing, and, and you stay out of the way. And uh, yeah,
1: I mean, he ne- there's no wasted moments or wasted space with Jimmy. No, you know, no. And he, everything he plays is is just so perfectly placed and oh, yeah. tasteful, man. It's yeah, he, one of my and favorite he's players.
0: comfortable. He's comfortable with that, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and 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 being in a world of guitar players, I'll turn to him on stage. We did something for Hubert, where like it was just a stage we with Apollo. And the stage was loaded with Gibbons and 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 Keith and and me and I'm I'm up there looking about why am I here? Because uh, I was Hubert's, you know, like best friend. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then uh you know, Clapton's up there and Derek and Warren, everybody everyone yeah. you can imagine. Susan's yeah. up there. Yeah. You know, Cotton's everyone you can imagine, and Jimmy Vaughn. It uh, says, "Don't worry, man. It ain't in music now." Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Billy says, and Billy Gibbons says, I ain't even plugged in. That's classic. (laughs) You know? Yeah, because it's really, I say, it looks like people waiting for a subway train up here. Right. right, (laughs) You know, we're we're, we're armed, you know, just uh, and and you learn the situations where to choose your battles, you know? Of Of course. In those situations, you just look around and say, man, am I lucky to be up here. Right, right no, this isn't about music right now. And I'm not going to show anybody how good I am. It's not a gunfight, you know, Uh, it's sometimes it is. And then that's when I just head for the hills. I don't want to be in a shootout. Some people, you know, there's, I'll be playing, you know, I'll do something with a friend who's like a monster guitar player, and it'll come up on, on Instagram or something a little bit. And and somebody will say, man, he buried you. And I'll say, it, we were playing. He was soloing and I was playing rhythm. What are you talking about? Right, he buried yeah. me. Right. You know, you're not, it's not, I said, it's not, this is not a competition. You know, I've been doing this for, uh, you know, over 50 years, you know, uh, and I've learned that gunslinging is a young man's game. And, yeah. uh, and, and there's a scene in one of my favorite movies, Unforgiven. Yeah. Where Clint Eastwood walks into the bar and there's gonna be a shootout. There's gonna be a gunfight. Yeah. And all these young guys are pulling and shooting. And Clint just reaches in, grabs his revolver, and starts pointing and picking people off. Bang, like B.B. King. Yeah. Bang, one note. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. No missed shots. And and you learn that uh Jimmy Vaughn and B.B. King, it's that one note, Albert Collins, you know. Oh yeah. Better than that, you know. It's uh um, it's all good though, right? It's yeah, going to yeah. hit it's
1: all how it hits someone in the audience and and you know, yeah. a lot of times when there is someone just playing a ton of notes, I I like to just give it a give it a little bit of space and then like you said, play one or two notes and a lot of times you'll hear the audience be like <sighs> <laughs> But it's also <laughs> it's
0: this. The- it's also this in in defense of yeah. those players. Yeah. It's also couple hundred people out there that want to hear that they want to hear that and expect to hear that you know and that's valid too so it's all valid yeah you know the the thing that people should understand uh the listener is that we're all different every one of us and what we bring we're hoping is our personality so you know if somebody's playing a lot of notes and that's their thing that's beautiful it's not my thing you know and and you know we've all been uh, egged Into, oh, let me just try and whip some shit out. Well, then the minute, and Hubert Sumlin would say this, the minute it goes into your head, it's gone.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, it's hard to hand. Yeah, I
1: mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan was asked, you know, what are you thinking about when you're playing? And he said, hopefully nothing.
0: You shouldn't be. uh, Well, you know, because you've had those moments too where it seems like you're standing outside of yourself. Yeah. It's just happening, right? Yeah. It's just so, and it's not every time. It's like a baseball player, you know, it's an average yeah, yeah. Of, of when it's just flowing. We, you could have your worst night, Kras, and somebody come up and say, man, that's the best I ever heard you play. And you just got to say. <laughs> that's happened for sure. You know, and sometimes
1: it is in your head and you're not hearing what they're hearing out there. No, you got to so trust the
0: audience knows something, too.
1: As time goes on, I remember playing a gig with Schofield, and and him had his amp was blowing up or something was happening, and he I I asked him about, it and he's like, oh man, that was I was just like, you know, finding that place where it was it was breaking up the speaker and just like using it like a pedal, you know, and using it like yeah. a sound, you know, and that I loved that because it was like. And, and that kind of cha- was a a really important thing for me because I was kind of like you know I'm always battling gear when I'm flying in for shows and stuff. And, yeah, you know yeah. you can't let it take over your mind and and throw you off. You know you gotta you gotta play through and you gotta in in the yeah. best case scenario you take that thing and you make it a unique moment about that show and about that moment. You know,
0: yeah. And try well, to of course, to of course. Advantage. Of, of course, and you know, there's a Sonny Boy Williamson record "Checking Up on My Baby," where he's got such bad laryngitis he could hardly sing. Yeah. Yet it comes out one of the coolest things. He made it work. Yeah. You know, it's checking it up. It's like it's just like it sounds like Captain Beefheart singing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and and it and and we don't know. You're right though, because Schofield he's a genius. Let's face it. You yeah, know. Yeah. But he's also a cool customer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's
0: not going to blow his top out there, or, or, yeah. or say, "Get me another amp." You know, he's going to, you know, he's not a rock star, right? So there are there aren't ten guys making sure everything's okay on the side of the stage. Of course, is he all right? No, he's a jazz blues guy, you know, right, right. and uh, and and can make any guitar sound great too. By the way, you know oh, that's yeah. that's a, you know we we can get into that man because the collecting thing it's it's definitely gone for me. I've gotten rid of most of the shit I don't play and uh and and leave collecting to collectors and playing to players. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, that's uh, there's absolutely so, true. So many great I know you're into some new guitars too and you know, D'Angelico, some the PRS's, the Gibsons, the Fenders, you know, they're all making these great instruments now. And uh, Yeah. You know, you don't want something that's so precious. I uh talking to somebody and and uh, I said I just got this old Strat, and somebody told me I shouldn't, I shouldn't put new frets on it. I said right. but it's unplayable. So well, if you're going to buy a like you know a vintage Jaguar, do you want the original tires on it? Right. No, right. I don't think so. You want to drive it, you know? Yeah, I've
1: I've gotten rid of so many guitars in the last couple of years, partly because you know, and part of the collecting and having different guitars for me was really figuring out what I like. You know what i mean and figuring out my thing because that I, I it's taken me a long time i mean and i still have a few things that i like to play what what we want and what
0: we like are two different things that's true that's you true. know because like anyone else we're impressionable and we see yeah what's he playing yeah well that's not the secret to his sound at all you know you yeah. see guys play i mean Anybody see guys like play a different instrument and sound the same on it? Right. That's guys with a sound with their hands or their their picking or their you know that that can get the same sound on anything. And and then again, if in the world of pedals, does it matter? Right. You know, you has to be comfortable, right? Yeah. Because,
2: yeah.
0: I mean, we can't deny the 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 importance pedals on the gig, especially the kind that we do yeah. where you got to get ten different sounds out of your guitar.
1: You yeah, know? yeah, that's
0: that's changed
1: the game, you know, in so many ways. You know, and I was always trying to play heavy strings for a long, long time, and like a year or two ago I was like, fuck it, I'm going to play lighter str- I mean, I still, I mean, I don't go lower than, like, tens, but it's like, you know, but they feel – whatever feels right that's going to – where I can play the shit I want to play the whole night. And also, like, I used to – you know, now it's like I want to play lighter guitars too because, you know,
0: my back is (laughs) – isn't what it I once know. was. I know, <laughs> you know. I know, man. No, so. no. It, it all changes with time. What you, you know, what you want, and you want them to feel the same when you switch. Yeah. If you yeah. switch guitars, you don't want to. Oh, all of a sudden, this giant neck I got to deal with, or yeah. I can't yeah. play that voicing. You know that I can on this. I want this one. I see Mike Campbell change in the middle of a song. Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> The yeah.
0: tech comes out and changes it within, within like two seconds. He's got another guitar on, yeah. you know, and that that's okay. That's a good show thing, but I, you know, guitars are, are crazy, man. I mean, we get into all that. I need this. I need this. No, you don't need all that you need. Yeah. Of course. What do you need? I need uh, a good acoustic, a good acoustic 12, a good yeah. mandolin, a good lap, a good, good, a good ra- arch. Na- I need two kinds of Dobros or nationals. Yeah, yeah. You know, I need a couple of sitars and I need a couple of, uh, you know, electrics. Yeah. I need, I need less Paul's tellies and straps basically. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, and arch tops are overrated uh, for players like me. Yeah. Because I, used to see guys like Ed Bickert play jazz on a telly or, or, or uh, you know, those guys that played, played jazz on a telly were, they sounded fine to me. You know?
1: Please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. So I wanted to ask a little bit before before we get out of here, I got to ask a little bit because, you know, you've talked a little about you've done so much in blues and in rock and roll and as a musical director, but you've also done quite a bit on television. Yeah. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that, how that came about um, and how, you know, you linked up with Conan and ended up on um, as a part of the basic cable band and then as
0: MD. So when the E Street Band broke up, when when they when when Bruce kind of put them on hold for a while and, and sort of sent them packing, you know, and he was doing those two records, Tunnel Love and Human Touch. Uh, I think it was called. Those are the records. I think those guys were doing stuff. I was part of that Jersey mob, you know, naturally. So I had known all those guys, and Max and I had a had done a project together with Joe D'Elia, Killer Joe record, Jump Blues Band, right? Yeah. So I at this point am living in uh, in ninety two or three whenever i got the call from max i'm living in sausalito i have a band with clarence so i'm living at his house up there in in sausalito uh, west coast because clarence and i are doing stuff together so (laughs) i got a call from max he says is clarence there don't let him hear what we're talking about Don't let him know, yeah. I got this audition. He said, I got this audition. I ran into this guy on the street, uh, the Conan. I saw him on the Charlie Rose show yeah. a couple nights ago. And I asked him, hey, I, he, I introduced myself. I told him it was Max Weinberg, and Bruce, blah, blah, blah. He was like, oh, yeah, uh, there's auditions happening for my show. I'm going to take over, you know, for, for the Letterman slot, you know. So Max got all the info. He calls me, says, problem is I don't, our band is, you know, scattered all over the place. Come back home, don't tell Clarence. Yeah. Because all Clarence has to do is make a phone call and he'll have the gig. Right. That's how dynamic he was. You right, know, you right. want fucking Clarence <laughs> Clemens. Yeah. You know, sweetheart, you know, but a, a presence on stage oh, to be yeah. dealt with. Oh, yeah. So uh, we go, I said, I'll come back home and we'll let's let's get the band together. So we get guys, um, Mike Merritt and Scott Healy, who were you know, in the Vivino Brothers band at the time, my brother yeah, Jerry, yeah. and then Max calls Pender and LaBamba, yep. you know, the other two horn players. Yep. Uh, and we audition. Max, of course, is uh, a name. Yep. Doesn't hurt. Okay. Yep. But also had a plan that I never would have thought of. He said, we're gonna do. We're gonna. We're gonna dress this way. We're gonna bring our own lights to the audition. Here's the set. Let's work on the set. Then we get the set list. We rehearse the shit out of it. You know, it's a lot of jump blues and sort of bar band, good time, rock and roll stuff. Right. Okay? right. Vision. A guy with with vision. Not just yeah. going in. Uh, you know, we were up against like John Lurie and the Lounge Lizards, downtown bands. Right, <laughs> you know. Right. Steve Bernstein and the sex mob, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. guys that were too hip for the room, kind of. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and at the same time, Hal Wilner and Howard Shore were involved with Lauren Michaels. So their agenda was pushing this downtown sort of too hip for the room kind of thing. And those guys were the best at it. Yeah. But Conan and Jeff Ross, the producer, and, and Jim Pitt, who was booking music, they wanted to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they didn't want to be too cool for the room. They wanted to bring people in, and the band had to be having a good time. So we passed the audition. We got the gig, yeah. you know, and uh, and it, and it was a culmination of everything that each and every one of us, all the club dates we had played, all the weddings, yeah. all the bar mitzvahs, right? All the all the jazz gigs we all had done, all the blues gigs, yeah. all the rock and roll gigs, all the little crappy little hole in the wall joints we played all over New Jersey together. Before the E Street Band, even Max even played with them, back when we went up and down the Jersey coast and we all ran into each other and knew each other from bar bands, you know, way back from the Stone Pony, all that. So all of that came into into play, and uh, and that band was unique in that when it when it hit, yeah, uh, you know, it uh, it had a thing, and uh, it lasted. And of course, my arranging skills were up there for, for something like this because right, right. I always had seven piece bands as a kid. Yeah. I had trombone, trumpet, and tenor. That was Chicago. Mold. Chicago was the, was the, the model. We had entertainers like Pender and La Bamba in there, you yeah, know, yeah. that were not we more about playing. Guys. Yeah. They were, they were more about playing and my brother too. They were more, everybody in that band was, you know, schooled in the Jersey shore, yeah. you know, club scene. That's so interesting that you guys
1: came there as a fully formed concept in a band. I did not know that. I, f- I figured they kind of had the general concept, the producers of the show, and you guys
0: filled in. To Max's credit, you know, he learned from Bruce about presentation. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, he learned a lot in, the, in that situation, you know. Right, uh, right. And, and, uh, and that's, that's invaluable knowledge. Yeah. You know, it's not enough, just the music's not enough. Right. Presentation. And, and you know, and, and that's it's show the showbiz part of it uh, is important. And that's why a lot of guys don't get out of the practice room. Right. Uh, they could be burning and so good and say, how come I'm not working? Well, working takes a long time, you know. Yeah. The, the Beatles talked about that. Was it 10,000 hours? 10,000
1: hours, yeah. All
0: right? It's yeah. true. We put it in, man. Yeah. We, pu- we put it in. And, and it, it brings you something more than chops yeah and musical ability and musicality all important things but showmanship and and looking you know that presentation thing it's uh it's it's a learned thing it's not always a natural thing and uh and we learned it from watching soul bands watching james brown yeah no, it was entertainment and it went and boom 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 when we did our audition it was like bang no no time in between tunes and we did this show and it was like a little club gig you know, in front of the producers, uh, and and we got the gig. Wow! Uh, and it was uh, quite an experience. And. 28 years amazing uh amazing. and still working with conan you yeah. know on other yeah. projects yeah and ho- hopefully on the next thing but whatever that will be you know yeah there's an hbo max deal in place cool uh you know the uh the the delivery system keeps changing in our business right right, right. i mean you know used to be remember we used to be i gotta get a record deal i don't yeah. think we do that anymore do nope. we i mean no nope. Yeah, you make your that,
1: own. Yeah, you make your own. You do it yourself. You know, I, and I talk about this sometimes. You know, I am pre- appreciate that um, we have this direct-to-consumer kind of relationship now. Um, yeah. But I do miss a few things about how that used to happen. First off, holding the record in my hand and, look, and, yeah. and the crediting, you know, where producers and engineers were at all, you know, a, a lot of times they fly under the radar now because no one's looking at. Who at that stuff? I mean, we look, we look.
0: yeah, but even when I do, or when they say you can download the booklet, I've never found one after I've downloaded it, right, right, <laughs> I don't know right, where it's hiding, right. it's on my computer somewhere. I'm not smart enough to know, but I missed that too. And I told you when I was a kid, yeah, reading everything right down oh, to that the was R-I-A-A it, approval, yeah, you know, sitting with those records as a kid. And then
1: the one, the other thing is, you know, a lot of people throw shade at record execs and of course there's good and there's bad but there were you know guys like that i I got to work with bruce lundvall when when, in the early days with Soul. oh
0: man i used to teach his kid guitar oh really yeah bruce and uh,
1: there's you know even clive davis and and a lot of these guys i mean these gatekeepers to a certain degree but they you know back in those days you know to make a record, you there was there was this threshold that you had to break through. You had to have a certain amount yeah, of yeah. following, a certain amount of skill. You had to hone your skills as a band or as an artist. And then you'd be in the studio with these great producers and these arrangers and engineers. And, of course, a lot less records came out, but I do feel like those records were amazing. And a lot of people yeah. are making amazing records now. But, man, growing up and having my dad's record collection from the 60s and the 70s, just like... Such an incredible time for music, you know.
0: And the other thing is about that when we're talking about that, you've seen the um where they where they show you the pie and yeah. your slice of the pie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so are you gonna be happy with your slice of the pie and not look at who else is getting what? Or right. are you happier with no pie at all?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> which right. is which is where we are. I know because I know. Well, so many things changed, and, and don't the toothpaste doesn't go back in the tube as right, we know. Right. Once it's out, once it's, once out, it's yeah. out, and once all of a sudden royalties are a thing of the past. Yeah, uh, it, when when streaming gives you pennies where radio play yeah. used to give you dollars.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, you know, uh, it's it's well, you know, people say, well, it's the corrupt system, and it's got bullshit because it takes. PR guys and A&R guys yeah. and artwork people. And, you know, the, the things that went into an album yeah. made it special. Yeah. You know, now it's like, uh, you know, you wanted to go in the record store and pick that up. Now everybody's getting the vinyl again, yeah, you know? yeah. That
1: part is good, but there's so many records are made on a laptop in your in your basement or whatever. And I'm not saying like as it gives opportunity to people that maybe would have never had it. And there are a lot of great records may- being made that way. But I also think there's a lot of, a lot of shitty <laughs> ones. To be in there. But
0: I, my favorite thing about that process, yeah. Is the amount of plugins it takes to make it sound like it wasn't made. Right. Uh, that it was made with some tape. Wait, right. Just get some tape, maybe. I don't yeah. know. You yeah. know, I mean, yes, you know, things change and they and you can't be you can't be too much living in the past about yeah. about yeah. about how it was. We're lucky that we know how it was. Yeah. But we have to be able to see how it's gonna be. Yeah. And that's that's the hardest thing for us to grasp. And sometimes it takes some kid showing you how he's doing it. Yeah. To how it can be done.
1: To the credit of, you know, there's like like universal audio and some of these companies are making plugins that are that are intuitive and do sound like some of the old stuff. And in 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 doing that, they're kind of creating a a new sound that is actually more pleasing to my ears than like yes. the digital sounds of the like late oh, nineties yeah. to early two thousands. So I think there's a lot of great music being made and a lot of great tools now. Um, oh,
0: yeah, you can run it through an Ampeg, uh, an Ampex uh tape deck yeah, now. Yeah. And master it off the head of that.
1: Yeah, so there is stuff out there now that's really making things like a lot of my record that I'm about to put out, we we did, you know, digital but it sounds analog.
0: Yeah. There's ways to use it well i call those ap- apology filters right right <laughs> not apogee but they they're, they're <laughs> <on> apology filters <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, like, man. sorry, this is too clean and crispy, and you know, you want to dumb it down. Well, I guess you could run it to a tape, maybe, and then yeah. you know, and then while well, you have that plug in right. that amp, a couple of Revox one an Ampex one, a you know, a Tanberg. Which one do you? Which German machine do you desire? Right. You know, I mean, it's it's funny too because that low tech thing was so hip for a while, yeah, right? Yeah, and now yeah. that's gone.
2: Yeah, that yeah.
0: trashy low tech kind of thing, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that I, I loved so much but if the song is there right yeah we forget that it's about the song it's all about the song and 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 somebody with just a guitar singing that song you'll know if it's a song and that's the 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 guys like Don DeVito that worked at Capitol you know I'd rather at Columbia they could hear a song
2: yeah yeah
0: those those A&R guys could hear a hear a hit song absolutely Uh, you know Jerry Wexler, Arif Martin, those, you know, cats, cats up there. They they were, they were key to our, our, our music. You know, they were getting the music from everywhere. There were writers, you know, now it's, everybody's not a great songwriter. Sometimes you need songs, you need to go with other people or you need to, you know, not, I don't think so much in the Nashville sense of they write everything for you.
2: Right. Right.
0: But, you know, you've gotten together with other people and great stuff can come out that you weren't thinking about, you know, uh, So that's a nice thing about passing videos around. Yeah. And it comes back, and I added this. You don't have to sit in the same room. Yeah. You know, it's quicker when you do. um, But uh, I'm just excited to see what's going to happen with the uh, evolution uh, of of kids in the basement again. I think a lot of kids have spent a lot more time during this COVID thing playing their instruments and you're right. singing you're right because i felt like we lost a generation especially of soul singers yeah. to hip-hop you know yeah, yeah, yeah. because it became more uh, enticing to rap and mash up tracks and make tracks yeah. than to actually play an instrument or sing yeah and i i felt i don't think a whole generation but a lot of great singers uh don't even know yet that they're that they're great singers right so right that's interesting yeah I yeah. I just feel that way uh that that's where I that community the African American community is where I went to for all of my music. Yeah. You yeah. know, those are the fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters of everything I love musically from yeah. rock and roll to blues to jazz, you know, so I'm I it, they kind of lost me in 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 a in a new uh technology and technological kind of way.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh and I see kids coming along like kingfish, you know, Chris Stone, guitar yeah. player. Oh yeah, so
1: amazing. You
0: know, I see young kids coming along that are grabbing onto the the traditional stuff and singers yeah. and players, and it's it's enlightening. Uh, you know, because I I want to see the the originators of this music come back. Yeah, you know, to yeah. us, to all yeah, of us. I want to buy their music again. You know, and uh, because I can't. I personally, I'm too old to get down with a lot of a lot of the hip hop stuff, you know, it's not for me. And I hear plenty of it just sitting in traffic in L.A. Yeah, I don't have to (laughs) from the next car. I hear I hear a lot. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's a funny thing. And then there's the L.A. New York thing. You know, Uh, people say, well, you're going to you're going to come back to New York. Right. I said, man, I earned moving to LA. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: funny. I get, I have, you know, obviously, I'm also a uh, yeah transplant from New York to LA, and I say that all the time. And I, and the thing is, I have not lost my love for New for New York. I just love it as a visitor, and I yeah. like to come home and have a little space and sunshine and, and some pizza. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it is it is it is true, man. Like you know, the world is it's easier to travel than it used to be. Uh, yeah. When when it will get easier when. Yeah. when and all this stuff eases up, but you know you're there. You you can spend five hours in a plane going west, east or west, right? Or you can waste it yeah. <laughs> here doing nothing. Yeah. It's not it's not so difficult, uh, you know, to 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 go places and do things. And I was looking forward to that uh, in retirement, semi retirement. Yeah. Was going out and going city to city, picking up a band, playing a blues gig, you know, yeah. and all this stuff happened. Oh yeah, and yeah. that was a big part of my next plan. So now I'm just, you know, doing stuff around L.A. and, you know, doing some dates with Can Heat with Fido, you know, oh, the cool, original cool. drummer and and uh, one of my favorite bands growing up. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, I, they, absolutely those, you know, those bands that had that turned me backwards to the blues. Right, right. You know, guys like Alan Wilson and Bob Height knew. You know, Alan Wilson. You know who was the can't he sort of you know he was the the, the brain in that band he was one of the kids that found Sunhouse up in rochester wow he was working as a pullman porter and hadn't played guitar for 30 years and forgot how to play all of his stuff That's his incredible. open g alan wilson showed him everything he knew everything he showed wow. him how to play again sunhouse came back and had you know when they found all those guys they you know they had short careers in the 30s a lot of them yeah and were and were rediscovered in the 60s right right folk you know the newport folk festival and the folk explosion found john hurt and john estes and you know and, and all these guys that were still alive back then you know buckle white and they brought them all out you know now they're gone uh you know the new old guys are our are, are buddy guy you know right, and, right. and 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 a couple guys like larry mccray that's been around forever yeah that needs to be appreciated uh yeah i, I just
1: actually dropped by the studio um, oh did you see what josh, Bo- and, yeah, josh and, yeah. and, Bonamassa and joe were, yeah we're in the in the studio with him and man i couldn't I believe everything he sang was just like joe was feeding me tracks every night believe me
0: joe would say it's just rough it's just rough i say rough yeah. what are you gonna do to it <laughs>
1: funny thing is they were. I thought it was playback for a second when I walked in I just happened to be recording next door yeah. and I ran into those guys like come in and uh, and I'm hearing back I'm like oh man what an incredible take they're like he's in there doing that right now he was like behind yeah. the thing I know <laughs> i like folks every if you take do anything look, look <laughs> yeah. for Larry McRae's Mc- yeah, Larry Larry
0: record on I think it's on Keeping the Blues Alive when they put yeah. it out and oh, they're also could. doing an, a nice documentary about him oh, finding great, Larry McRae finding him because there's a guy bad management and bad yeah. decisions it never took away the ability and the greatness right, of this guy right, you know? but right. it, did, it, did, it did kind of it was downtrodden from it uh, but now you know it's our job now a lot of us to find these guys and bring them back out you know yeah. I mean the same way yeah. Alan Wilson did in the 60s and other guys did not, not because and I don't want to get people to get things wrong today we, we look too much into things not because they need our help but because we love them and we yeah. want you to see them. You've done such an amazing
1: job not only of shining a light on, you know, these influential artists, but you've also, you know, been a mentor to a lot of people, to a lot of young musicians, um including myself. And man, we I, we appreciate, you know, what you I appreciate what you do for for music and for the culture.
0: I think that to sum it up, I always I found I have found this a kid can pick up a guitar tomorrow for the first time and I will and show me something that I don't know how to do or wouldn't think of doing. Right, right. So we all have something. Don't be so worried about what the guy next to you has yeah. you know just do yeah. your thing just do your thing because your personality belongs to only you and your playing should be your personality that's the best advice i can give man be yeah. fearless
1: yeah you know yeah yeah 100 man i appreciate you so much uh jimmy and thank you so much for taking the time And I can't wait to play again, man.
0: I know. Thank you. We got to this, man. I think, what are we going, November? Yeah. Yeah,
1: we got it. We got something in November.
0: All right. I'll see you soon.
1: I want to thank Jimmy Vivino for being on the show. So cool to catch up and talk with him. So before we go, I'm going to play a track from Jimmy Vivino and the Black Italians album 13 Live. And this track is called Shape I'm In. Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist named Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email plus one at gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time.
2: Osiris.